All right, and I'm here today with Leo Sherman, um, who just released a new record, Tone Wheel. Uh, it came out, and man, congratulations on the new release. Man, Alan, thanks a lot. It's really exciting to finally put a first album out. Yeah, and I'm sure that you would attest to this, and anyone else listening that's done a release, uh, I'm sure it's a big relief to finally have it out, because it's a lot of work, man. Oh, man, totally. I mean, uh, especially when it's the first one, I'll be honest, I had no idea going into it after especially the the fun part. Not that the rest of it wasn't fun, but the just purely musical part of preparing the music and going into the studio. I just had no idea how much work and how many different things that uh, a band leader and uh, especially releasing an album has to be flexible with and manage and, and all of that. But uh, it's been a really great learning experience. So what would you say, because um, I think as a musician, when you think about recording a record, everyone first thinks of like, well, I need music, you know, and I, and I have to actually play and record the record. Um, what are like, you know, two or three things that probably caught you off guard the most that came after that fact, you know, and putting it all together and, and getting out and, you know, if you looked back on it, you're like, wow, I wish I, I either learned more about that beforehand or I wish that maybe I did this in a different way. Or, or something along that nature. So I guess, you know, we have the this blessing in the modern studio today that we can go in and if we hear something that we want to correct, that, you know, maybe we want to just try something different, that we can do it right then and there. Um, so one of the things, uh, definitely, you know, you have your arrangement when you go in. Um, hopefully, you know, it's, it's all been rehearsed and figured out, but assuming that you have your arrangement when you go in and you record it, and I guess one of the things that I wish I had taken into account is that, yes, you can in the modern studio go back, change something, try something different, not stay married to uh, a decision musically that, that you're really into because it's you know what you had in mind for the original arrangement, but then maybe something different could sound even better. Um, so when we finished recording, you know, I got home, I, I gave a few days, uh, actually it was more like a solid week of not listening to any of the uh, raw audio that we recorded. And when I went back and listened, I was like, oh man, this is, this is awesome. But I thought about it, I was like, oh, you know what? This is going to be cool either way, but I should have taken advantage of maybe trying something a little bit different on this song. And that's something that, uh, for the future, I'm definitely going to keep in mind. Like when you're in the studio, it's a golden, like, uh, a, a temple that you're in of, of possibilities of, of whatever kind of changes you want to do. Um, as for a second thing, I think that, uh, I wish that I had lined up the mixing and mastering component, you know, before we even recorded, just so that it would have been a bit more of an immediate thing. Um, I had to wait a, a fair amount of time because, you know, and especially in New York City, uh, some of the best engineers, they get busy. And 
if you don't schedule something in advance, you could really end up waiting for a good month, maybe even longer to start working on your stuff. And um, while again, I'll, I'll reiterate that I think it's important to give at least a few days or even a week between when you finish recording your stuff and you start really listening to it again, just to have a fresh ear, it's still nonetheless important to start getting to it if you know you have a deadline like i released uh rather i recorded this album on february 1st of mm. this year and uh it just came out today but there was definitely a solid maybe month and a half before uh i got to start mixing it so you know uh interesting question so did you have a producer in your record, like someone that was not in the band, not you, that was like there specifically to take on the role of a producer. You know, there wasn't. It was uh, it was just me trying to to record and then listen back to takes in the studio. Do you think? Because um, obviously, like it still is your record, and I think especially in a, you know, maybe more so than in the pop world. I, you know, I don't really know too much about how that works, but in the jazz, I in the jazz scenario, when I've talked to Nick and, and other people, it's still very, uh, you know, just because you have a producer there, they still obviously take into consideration like whose record is going to be and what they want to do. Is that something that you think um, would have made it easier or something that you might look on for, for other records upcoming? Like, do you think, what, what are your thoughts on that? Cause people are really um, torn. I think when I've talked to some people, like some guys are like, Hey, that makes it the most efficient thing I've ever done. Having someone that handles all that and I can just play. And then other people say like, well, I don't really like giving up control and that, or like judgment in that respect to having one there. Right. That's a really good question. Um, and I think that the answer to that, it lies somewhere in between the, the last point that you made, uh, mm. you know, on one end of the spectrum, you have, uh, this fear of giving up creative control and having decisions made for you that, that you might not like. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have, you know, the, the potential to, to really have someone listen for you and, and handle things like even as simple as like, Oh, that was really the take. Like you can move on something like getting to budget time in the studio because you have a producer figure who, who can help you distinguish what, you know, was really solid and, and what could still be improved upon. Um, so I would definitely go with a producer in the future. And I wish I had one in the studio with me when I was recording, um, for that very point of, of being able to, to hear from the outside to almost like, you know, you're, if you're a painter and you're, you're working with an impressionistic work where up close, it can just look like, you know, uh, a bunch of, of brush strokes and points on the canvas, but then further back, you actually can see the image manifest and, and see what happened and, and see that the take was overall very good. You're not on the micro level. Um, so I would have, I would have loved to have had that. Uh, and also I think that if you have someone who you really trust, who knows your musical identity who understands what you're going for um who maybe even knows the the other band members and and can really hear what you're going for then that's an incredible asset to have in the studio yeah 
Well, okay. So, I mean, I guess getting a little bit away from the, the, the mechanics, we could say, of making an album, man, let's talk a little bit about this album. You know, the first thing that stuck out to me with it was I re- like, I really dig your artwork. Um, cause it kind of looks a lot like, um, like the inside of a clock, you know, with yeah. all like the, like one of the old mechanical clocks working and everything. So, why don't you talk about, you know, what is your, what was your concept going into this album? You know, because I feel a lot of people nowadays are, and I mean, I, I try to think this way too, try and approach an album with a, a conceptual idea, you know, something that tries and ties it all together. And so how did you, how did you go about that? You know, besides obviously picking tunes where you're like, I just like this, you know? Sure. Uh, well, so the, the album artwork I guess first and foremost, um, I, I want to identify and, and highlight the artist Nicholas K. I mean, he's really phenomenal and specializes in that kind of fantastical, um, you could almost call it like a steampunk sort of sort of artwork. Um, and in this case, he really did a fantastic job, just as you said, um, replicating this kind of interior. Uh, clockwork, this these sort of machine parts, <clears throat> and the concept behind that was this unit, this this mechanical unit known as a tone wheel, which can really take on a lot of meanings. Um, you know, purely mechanically speaking, it's like this uh, electromechanical component inside of organs and keyboards that literally is is what spins and uh produces voltages that make sound so i thought that that was really cool and um that kind of stuff is a little bit of the nerdy technical stuff i'm into um but then a tone wheel also has many other meanings uh speaking of emotions it can be like the wheel of emotions um in color it can be the color wheel and i thought it was just a really appropriate representation of the band and this programmatic music. Um, but then more so having this kind of fantasy element, it's indicating kind of a deeper level of storytelling, um, that I wanted to, to go through about my own story, you know, escaping the Soviet union, growing up in Baltimore city and going through the challenges of, of, uh, being an immigrant in the United States. And so I thought it all really tied together. I mean, the artwork, it doesn't directly indicate the, the immigrant story part, but it gives the, the viewer, before they even listen to the album, a sense of what kind of album this will be, that, that this is not something maybe ordinary, um, but rather something that's going to have a story behind it. Okay. Now I, I got kind of like a loaded question for you here and it, it definitely might not be simple to answer. Um, you, you spoke about how, like you wanted to make sure what you told specifically your story. How do you, um, how do you, how do you specifically work with that, with, uh, with music and composing? You know, how did you try and make sure that you, um, highlighted your story through music, especially when there's not like specific vocals or, or anything like that. So, um, did you do it in the in the manner of like trying to stay true to some uh, motific and, and rhythmic developments from where you're from, or or just how did you go about approaching it? Because I think a lot of musicians 
um, especially younger musicians struggle with the um, connecting it really to themselves, you know, because that takes like a sense of uh, like emotional maturity to really be able to, to, to figure out how you want to do that. Right. Uh, that's, that's an awesome question. I guess when I, when I start writing something and especially when I was writing the songs for this album, I was thinking about stories from my own life, experiences from my own life and tapping into that before I would sit down and it would always manifest in some sort of melodic material, um, a, a melody that when I would apply a, a harmony to it would be the emotion of the experience that I had. And I can give you an example uh, from the album. The, the very first track is called In Flight. And when I was writing that, um, I was thinking I, w I had just visited home, um, was hanging out with my grandmother who very much, I mean, if you take me and then take my parents and then move even further over on the spectrum to my grandmother, she is very much um, still living through some experiences of, of growing up and, and uh, living in the Soviet Union. So we were, we were talking during this family visit, and uh, the particular story was this story of flying on a plane for the first time. I think I was about maybe two and a half years old, three. So it's not something that I remember, you know, really uh, directly. It's, it's something that's a little bit more, uh, you know, within the depths of the, the subconscious. But hearing about this story and then just feeling it and, and how it was described to me, I sat down and started writing a melody uh, that was you know the way that i was sort of envisioning the takeoff of a plane and the feelings associated with it and you know as you move further into the song there's this kind of ominous piano part that happens which is uh literally that feeling of of when you're finally in the clouds and you know you look out of the window and there's you know the down the the ground distantly uh, uh below you and it's both exciting, but also terrifying. Um, so I would say that that's kind of the process that I applied uh, as I was writing all of these songs. Yeah. So I guess it's just for you, it was getting into the headspace first, and then you kind of saw it related as to whatever occurred while you were in that headspace. Exactly. I got you. I got you. So how would you say... Um, because that that's something that I think you would agree does not happen instantaneously. Um, totally. So with that level of of intent and focus, you know, compared to being a sideman, like when you go and work for someone else's project, and you try and get into that kind of a headspace, you know, to give just give yourself as as fully as you can and committed to their music. How do you? What what are things that you go through? Like, do you always ask compo composers? Like, if you you know, of course, if they're there. Like, what 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 what's the deal with this? Like, how did you do this? And then, how do you try and contribute to to their uh, idea, which might it be, but also then balance in like, hey, I'm still Leo playing this music, and I'm going to play it how Leo would. Right. Uh, so, especially you know, during the 
the the process of, of recording my own stuff and then uh, working through it. But, you know, in the meantime, playing in other people's projects, it, it really became a, a way that I started looking at it um, that I wasn't necessarily doing as much before, but started realizing, you know, yeah, uh, there's very often a, a story behind a song. I mean, I should say also that sometimes there there isn't there there's actually plenty of there are plenty of original pieces people write that are more musically conceptual you know exploring a certain sound or rhythm and then in that case you're still asking them hey what's uh what's the device that you're mainly working with here and and how are you feeling the the development of it and so that's one side of it but Yes, especially when there is a story behind it. I like to ask the band leader, hey, tell me some more about this and tell me how you envision this developing in the song. Because then what I do as, as Leo on the bass can, can be to bring that out. You know, I can be much, much more supportive, even more supportive than just playing the right notes and the right parts. So when you're working on like when you went through school and everything and you're focusing on trying to learn PC, Ray Brown, uh, Scott LaFaro, even, you know, whomever it was, how did you get to that point where you were like, Hey, it's time for, for Leo to come through, you know, figure out this is where everything that I've been informed is of course, but this is now where, where it's time for me. Right. So, I think for me it was it was definitely a bit of a, a bouncing around the pinball machine kind of situation, especially in undergrad, where I was checking out those guys and and the bass players that you mentioned happened to be really at the core of of what I would say is kind of my foundation as a bass player, but I was a bit of a rebellious one and and didn't really listened to to my teachers all the time and was kind of off exploring stuff that that I liked uh which at times wasn't even jazz uh I dare say but um I was you know off writing my own music and and trying to explore that and exploring stuff on the bass so there was a there was a fair mix of of trying to figure out Leo along with uh, respecting the the tradition as far as bass playing goes, and and really checking out those masters. Um, that was at William Patterson University, and then at Manhattan School of Music. I think just the the maturity that naturally and hopefully starts to happen when you know you go to grad school. It made me go back and really revisit the the tradition and establish a strong. Uh, foundation, um, particularly with uh, with Ray Brown and, and LaFaro, um, you know, with with LaFaro Sunday at the Village Vanguard, you know, with Bill Evans, just was uh, a wellspring of of bass playing information for me, and then all of the stuff with with Ray Brown with Oscar Peterson um, really influenced a lot of the 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 bass lines and the style of bass playing that I enjoy. What do you think changed? Because, uh, you know, besides obviously you getting older and, and whatnot, because for me, I know my friends give me a lot of crap of like, there'll be a record that they were trying to show me 
I don't know, freshman year of college or something. And then I'll come, came up to them like three weeks ago. I was like, man, have you checked out this record? And they're like, are you kidding? Like I showed this to you five years ago. Why are you bringing this (laughs) up now? And for me, I'm like, well, you know, I just had to get to that point at my own time, you know? And I had to like, that was like, it was good then. It's still good now, obviously. But it was just like, there, there had to be the moment where, where I discovered it, you know, and where I appreciated it for that value. So how did that come to you was there just a moment where you're like wow either like my playing's lacking here or you like there was a record that you checked out of ray brown or something you're like this is the baddest dude that has ever lived you know so what what kind of was it for you if there was a moment it was a combination of those two things actually um so there there was an experience i remember towards the end of of william patterson where um I was I was getting to play and and I should say I was really lucky at William Patterson to have uh the late Mulgrew Miller as the program director. Um he was just incredibly supportive but also the most beautifully critical educator that I think I I got to work with during that time um of of undergrad. And we were we were playing together because I always used to set up next to his office just because it was a way, and, and others did this too, of course, it was a way to coax him in to to get to play with you. And we were playing, um, and I just remember that uh, we were playing, I think it was Willow Weep for me. We were playing like a, a bluesy, slow bluesy tune. And we played it, but afterwards he was just like, man, uh, you know, it's cool what what you're trying to go for and what you're trying to do, but you should really check out some more Ray Brown is you need to get into that blues language and explore the, the soul and and the dance that's associated with, with that kind of bass playing. And it was just like, wow, I, uh, I'm getting a one-on-one, like, you know, two feet away from me statement from this master, uh, to, to check out how to really play this way. And that, that got me to to check out the the Ray Brown stuff much much more um and then when i when i checked it out the the second part of it you know was was this realization then like man i i guess i just wasn't looking into this it was just perfunctory before and and i wasn't looking into this deeply enough because this is some incredible playing and some of the recordings that Mulgrew recommended i mean it was just you know, unbelievable bass playing, unbelievable ensemble playing. Um, and that pushed me into exploring those foundations more. See, and that's, that's interesting. Cause like, I would agree, you know, I think everyone has that kind of experience where, uh, where it, it finally just clicks and they have to do it. Um, whether it was like Ellington's writing or, or, you know, as a trumpet player, like the common thing is people not checking out a lot of like, uh, Louis Armstrong's recordings at first because just the recording quality was bad. And so it turns off younger players to it and whatnot. But I think that kind of feeds into this whole idea of like being a musician is, is a lifelong thing because no matter, I don't think any of us would disagree that that would help us if we were doing that, you know, at 16 or 18 or, or whatever. But, um, you know, you can't, you can only force yourself to do so much and get so much out of it until you actually have to want to get something out of it, you know? Totally. Um, now, man, okay, here's here's another question I want to ask you that has proven honestly to be some of the most difficult questions I've asked a musician before, and it's 
what do you do when you're not playing bass? Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> like not music. Like what is your, what is your escape from music? And I, I, like, I think everyone should have an escape from music and that's, you know, then ties into your music some roundabout way. But like, what do, what do you do when you're not doing music? So there've been a couple of things uh, because it's, it's developed over the years. The latest thing that I've been doing, that's, that's kind of a, a side hustle and that I really enjoy is videography. Um, and I've always, I mean, this is something that I think back in, in the days of, uh, of undergrad that I used to kill time with, you know, uh, it's not something I'm <laughs> happy to admit, uh, to doing, but I used to, to watch a lot of, uh, movies and, I was particularly interested in older stuff, you know, Scorsese, Coppola, Kubrick, um, because just thought that the the visual quality of it, the 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 artistry of putting together, you know, an amazing shot, an amazing sequence, and the camera work, the colors, everything, um, that always got to me. Aside from just a, a film with a really cool plot and fantastic acting. Um, and that's something that I picked up in the last two years. Uh, so when I'm not playing bass, I really enjoy recording video. I mean, it still often ends up being for music. It, it ends up being other people's bands. Right, right, right. But like, what's that? No, I'm just agreeing. Like, I mean, obviously, what are you? What's the most common thing you're going to take video of? Is music and other people's shows? Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so that's really fun. And um, and. Before that, I would say I've always been a fan of uh, of traveling and, and going to less populated, less urban places. So, you know, it, it could be something as simple as just going out of town for a hike. Um, something that I'm still trying to do a bit more, you know, go upstate to, to Bear Mountain and uh, get some hiking in. Um, getting some, some park time in, in, in the city even, uh, cause I need that contrast, you know, cause with music so much time, especially like with the, the bass, you can't play it just anywhere. Mm. Um, you just end up being indoors a lot. And I think that actually goes for, for most musicians, you know, when you're, you're shedding, when you're writing, um, you're inside, you know, and you're lucky if you have, a lot of uh a lot of daylight in a in an apartment in New York so um having having something like that like getting to go to a park getting getting some time with nature is great and the video thing it also it gets me out there because you know you're at venues you're at other people's places uh recording video so i try and i try and do a fair mix of that that's i mean that's awesome so what was the uh if you if you do still, I mean, I'm sure that you do. What was the last movie that you watched that you were just like, wow? Uh, I really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm, okay, I thought I thought it was uh, you know, and and that's that's the thing too. Um, you know, I'm a a big fan of uh, of uh, oh man, I'm blanking right now. Of uh, <laughs> help help me out here. Uh, uh, Kill Bill and uh, Pulp um, Fiction. Got Quentin Tarantino. 
Yes, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of his work, and um, I really enjoyed the pace of that film, and uh, I thought that uh, the acting was fantastic. You know, um, Brad Pitt and, and Leonardo DiCaprio just were fantastic. Uh, but his the video work there and just the pace it's it's always so impressive and i can't i can't help but thinking and this i think alan ties everything in for me too with with writing programmatic music and also just in in the way of of playing especially when you get your chance to solo uh not something that happens too frequently on bass nor uh nor do i think should it um but to to think about it in a more cinematic kind of storytelling way uh because i think that that's what that's what the best out there do you know whether it's tarantino in film whether it's the bass players we mentioned like scott lafaro or or ray brown uh or composers we mentioned uh like like ellington you know they're they're just connecting a story to the audience powerfully and right. i think that that at least that is is one of the core things that that people seek uh in music to be told a story that that they can latch onto and really enjoy and then you know sooner than you know it uh, a 3 hour concert is over and you're you're left craving more well um Gosh, man, I think that's a that's a good place to earn it, uh, guys. If you needed advice, you know, obviously what you got to do is write every piece of music you did, like your Quentin Tarantino directing a film. You know, <laughs> like good luck. Uh, you'll probably never be able to do it, but some some people have tried, and, and it's been amazing, man. Congratulations on the the <laughs> album, uh, which came out today, October twenty fifth. I think uh, this podcast will be coming out on Monday. Um, so you guys can check it out on you know Spotify, iTunes, uh, you can purchase the album on Amazon, everywhere that it is streaming, it will be there. If you go to YouTube, we have uh, some videos up from some of the singles that you had put out and, and everything. I, de- I definitely think people will enjoy it. It's a uh, it's a great record, and I think uh, you know if you guys stuck through this and listened to us uh, talk over here, you'll you'll get a greater appreciation for it. But uh, thanks again, Leo. Yeah, 